You're listening to Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast on mental health, addiction, and treatment. My name is Haley, and I'm here with addiction medicine specialist, Dr. Bott. How are you doing? I'm good, Haley. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited to get into today's topic. The opioid epidemic is still a hot topic as people are still dying every day from an opioid overdose. In past episodes, we've gone into the history of the opioid epidemic, and in another one, we talked about medication-assisted treatment. But there is a group of medications that are specifically used to help people with an opioid addiction. Although these can be great in terms of helping someone get off a drug that could potentially kill them, there is some concern that one addiction is just being replaced with another. But before we get into that, Dr. Bot, can you just tell me about the medication options that are used to treat an opioid use disorder? When we've talked about opioid use disorders in the past and in previous segments, um, like you mentioned, we, we, we've emphasized how we've gotten here and what's, what really has, what are the variables that have been involved in why we've had such a robust opioid use disorder problem. I think when people talk about, um, you know, what can we do about it? There's been a multitude of things that I think people have tried to uh, put in place. And uh, medications have been one that's been quite controversial. Um, you know, medications that exist uh, for opioid use disorders have been around for a little while, uh, especially those like methadone, which is um, quite um, prevalent in, in, in helping those individuals who suffer from uh, heroin or other opioid use disorders. And basically, methadone is one that um, can... Um, help somebody get off illicit substance use and replace it with a prescribed medication um, to help them have uh, significant harm reduction. Then there's another medication on there called naltrexone, which is an opposite type of medication. It's actually an opioid blocker, and that's been helped to reduce cravings and keep people abstinent from using illicit substances. And one of the more newer medications that have been used, and I say new, even though it's been around for quite a while, um, is buprenorphine. And that's kind of a mixed receptor blocker and a receptor activator that, um, again, works similar to, um, to, to methadone in a way where it can help somebody say abstinent from illicit substances, decrease cravings, and actually help and is used often in um, detoxification processes, just like methadone. So those are three of the more common um, FDA-approved medications as uh, for opioid use disorder. Okay, so you said buprenorphine is a mixture. Can you explain how that works and how it helps people? Yeah, so when we talk about, you know, agonist and antagonist medications, basically they, they, they talk about how they can activate or block a certain receptor site. So when we talk about opioids, they, they work on a certain opioid receptor within the body to create a certain uh, effect the effect that we have for uh, pain control, the effect that can be have that can have for uh, euphoria, the the, the medications um, that that work on those sites um, also can have side effects um, that we experience, like constipation, for example. So really depends on if they activate or block on a certain receptor. Buprenorphine has a unique property in the fact that it actually can. It activates on certain excuse me, on certain opioid receptors, and it's a blocker on certain opioid receptors. And also, it has a high affinity, meaning it binds quite well to um, the mu receptor that other opioids 
bind to. So um, depending on the dosage, depending on another medication's presence um, on that receptor, and depending on which receptor we're talking about, it can act like a, an agonist activator or an antagonist blocker. So it's a lot of you know pharmaceutical <laughs> jargon there, but um, the, the, the point is it, it's hoped to help um, you know, decrease illicit substance use and use it to uh, prevent further harm from that illicit substance use. How does a clinician determine who gets this medication and who gets which one? So I think historically, you know, it depends what school of thought people come from. You know, many people who come from an abstinence-based model or philosophy or thinking believe that, hey, you're only in recovery or sobriety if you're not taking anything. And I think the, the science has shown that, um, you know, that can occur um, with medicines prescribed that are not used in an addictive manner on board. So, for example, you know, um, if somebody's using heroin and they're using it and they're getting high and they're using it, of course, in an illicit manner, getting something prescribed to help you not use an illicit substances in, in an addictive manner, but help you um, live a healthy life and um, not have further harm, not catch an infectious disease, not have an overdose. Well, that's really what the intention is. Um, of these medications. Now, who's eligible for this and who's not really depends on um, the patient's background. Uh, I think all patients who suffer from an opioid use disorder in this day and age should have a medication considered um, to have a comprehensive treatment program put in place. So, because addiction is a, a very broad disease, it's made up of psychological and physical and social influences, all of those influences need to be considered when thinking about what areas um, a treatment need to be um, addressed. So we need to address things psychologically, we need to address things socially, we need to address things biologically. So um, the short answer is all patients with opiate use disorder should have medications uh, considered um, to see if they're eligible or not and if they're good candidates or not. And the, the studies show, the studies show that people who are prescribed medications do have uh, favorable outcomes. Um, they stay in treatment longer. They stay um, away from illicit substances longer. They often, um, they don't overdose as often. So there's a lot of benefits that have been shown in multiple studies that when we do have biological medicines um, used for opioid use disorders, there are favorable Outcomes. And one of those benefits is that it helps with withdrawal, right? Yes, definitely. It, it helps with cravings. It can help with withdrawal. Uh, obviously, the goal is to not use uh, substances in an illicit manner and uh, to, to, to keep the person from suffering further harm. So um, all of, for all those reasons, you know, um, medications for opioid disorders um, are there. But um, I think what we're looking at is also uh, a big question is, are those individuals being educated, though, adequately on those medications and, and what these medications can do? And I think that's a big question that um, sometimes is going unaddressed because in the attempt to, I think, correct or address this opioid epidemic, we're, we're giving medications out, some that can cause physical dependence. 
Now, even though these studies that I just mentioned have shown favorable outcomes, we do have an obligation to, as, as prescribers, to, to create a comprehensive treatment plan. And that should include ancillary um, supportive psychosocial um, modalities that address those psychological and social uh, parts of the addictive process. And, and, and we can't have a one-stop shop when it comes to treating addiction. I think that's where, um, you know, a, a big point of this discussion is today is, is that medications alone also cannot be the answer. Uh, although we should not stop somebody from, you know, uh, taking medications if they're not doing psychosocial uh, interventions. That's not the point here. But the point is also that psychosocial medications cannot be excluded. And I think that's really um, what we're trying to emphasize. You're saying that in your experience, people don't understand or they're not completely informed that these drugs can cause a physical dependency? Yeah, see, so a lot of times in, in clinical practice, um, we have people who come in and they're, they're younger individuals and they've often been prescribed, um, just say, not the antagonist. The antagonist medications like naltrexone, which are oral that decrease cravings and, and they can um, promote abstinence. These are not things that cause physical dependency. These are not opioid uh, receptor agonists. They do not activate the opioid receptors and they don't cause physical dependency. Um, I'm talking about when we use other medications like methadone or uh, buprenorphine, we have to educate these people that in part of their comprehensive treatment plan, these medications will cause a physical dependency and that you should use this with a plan, a, a complete comprehensive um, you know, addiction recovery program that addresses the psychological components of their addictions, the social, the ecological, the, the whole person's um, you know, uh, addictive issues. And so in an attempt, and my fear is that many many practitioners or you know who are who are practicing and and treating those with opioid use disorders are giving these medications out many times the patients are getting prescribed these medications and they're not receiving all these other parts of treatment now could that be due to the the person suffering with the addictive disorders um you know is it due to them or is it due to the practitioner not factoring in or emphasizing all of these other components so, you know, it's, it's, I'm seeing it on, on both ends. I see a lot of patients, younger people who come to me and say, doctor, I did not know that I was not going to, you know, feel or, or, or get the response that I wanted. I was prescribed this buprenorphine or I was prescribed this medication and now I'm still um, using my illicit substances and, you know, um, now I'm addicted to both things and uh, physically dependent to both things. And I think this is really my question here today is how is that being addressed? And, um, and, and, and I'm seeing this as a problem um, as we go to address the opioid epidemic. Right, because that is a problem. If they're not receiving other forms of treatment or therapy and they're just taking another medication, is that really working to help them with their addiction? Exactly. So, you know, there, there's an algorithm that, you know, the, uh, you know, substance abuse and uh, mental health services administration, um, they've developed practice guidelines and they're there for the practitioner to, to follow, to look into, you know, who the right candidate is. And that includes, you know, somebody who has an opioid use disorder, somebody who's, you know, 
engaging in, in risky behavior, somebody who's going to potentially die from using this stuff. And so again, we want to make sure that all the ammunition that's available out there is, 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 is given or offered to these patients. But at the same time, I think in this, I, I don't want to use this overzealous, um, you know, aggressive stance to address the open. I don't want it to be misconstrued that yes, we want to open the doors for practitioners to prescribe these medications to address the opioid disorders. But in those attempts, we don't want to miss the point. We don't want to lose the, the, the global comprehensive message that patients cannot just come off of these drugs without understanding that addiction is a, is a, is a bigger picture than just taking a pill to get off of um, their opioid use disorders. And there are other factors that they need to address. Um, people have psychiatric, psychological conditions that are leading to their depression. People have environmental issues that are contributing to their um, addiction. And, you know, these are things that need to, um, to, to be con considered and factored in. So, yes, these medications are there. They're scientifically proven to help people, but they need to be part of a package. And if, if somebody's not engaging in psychological, social issues, I'm not saying to remove the biological medications, but we want to ensure that the patient is aware and, and, and educated that, you know what, this is something that they will become physically dependent on. If they do want to come off of it, that there would be a titration plan put in place. Um, all of these should be discussed up front um, when prescribing somebody these medications. And that's responsible prescribing. Right. How long do you see people on these medications? Is it months or years? So it really depends on the individual. There are people that might need to be on these medications for the rest of their lives. Because if ultimately the quality of life is improved and being on these medications prescribed by a, medic by a pres uh, practitioner, um, they, they take it as prescribed. They're not using it in a diverted manner and they're staying away from using other illicit drugs, able to engage in work, able to be responsible with their families and take care of their uh, obligations. They might need to be on it for the rest of their lives. And if, if doing so creates a great quality of life, otherwise, um, those people, um, you know, uh, will stay on it. But then there's other people who will be started on it, who are able to, um, you know, get a robust understanding of what factors influence their substance use they might have been doing under a period of distress or stress. Um, you know, certain factors change in their lives that they're able to attempt to come off of these things and with a good recovery plan. Um, and with their doctor or prescriber in hand, you know, they can be slowly titrated off of those medications. So it really depends on, you know, the individual. And um, we've seen both people stay on it and, and, and people come off of it. But it really is, it's based on the individual circumstance. Okay. I want to clarify something. If somebody is on methadone or buprenorphine for years and they come off of it, are they going to experience withdrawal symptoms? If they come off it, um, quickly, yes, because of the physical dependency nature of the medication, um, it can cause physical withdrawal. And so, and, and that's really the point of this whole thing that although, yes, we do have to take the lesser of two evils, or we do have to take these things into consideration. And again, I, I, let me correct that phrasing, you know, um, methadone or bupe is not evil. It's not, it's, it's a prescribed medication that has shown tremendous um, you know, effectiveness to help somebody uh, live um, healthy lives. 
but with it comes a physical dependency just due to the pharmaceutical nature of that. So I just want to be clear that in our attempts to fix something that was a result of prescribing, you know, controlled substances, opioids, or people using heroin, illicit substances, we want to ensure that in our attempts to correct the opioid epidemic, that we're doing it in a prudent way, that when we prescribe medications that also have physical dependency as a consequence or as a replacement, we want to just ensure everybody is aware of what they're getting on and that they understand that if they want to get off of it, what the steps will be and that they need to come off of it slowly and that there should be a plan of action and it should be done collaboratively with their physician. And it takes a lot of supervision and it takes a, a, a gradual approach. And it, that should all be, again, discussed up front. And a lot of times people are coming in when they're in their um, addictive behaviors and they get a prescription and they're not given that comprehensive package, they're just going to end up using both. And um, unfortunately, I've seen people then say, oh, this medication never worked for me. I've tried it. It's failed. But it's often because they weren't set up on a path to be successful. And that's really starting with having a proper plan in place from the beginning. I want to talk about having that proper plan. What are the regulations currently before someone gets one of these medications? And what about it do you think needs to change? What happened, we have the Controlled Substances Act. And what happened uh, you know, many years ago was that when we had increased um, you know, controlled uh, regulations on people prescribing um, medications to help people with opioid use disorders, we wanted to, you know, make sure people were educated. We wanted to make sure prescribers knew what they were doing. And we set up these, um, you know, processes where you obtained a waiver that you were able to prescribe, you know, prescribe buprenorphine. And, and, and this allowed um, buprenorphine to be prescribed by outpatient physicians who had this waiver uh, and were able to do so um, after they received eight hours of education specifically to do this. Now, as the opioid epidemic has uh, has worsened, and we've seen more and more cases, especially during the pandemic, we've seen a, a, a sharp increase in in overdoses and deaths. Um, you know, in, in April of 2021, we saw people um, that practitioners have the privilege of being able to prescribe it as long as they had a DEA uh, licensed. And I, I'm being a little bit succinct here, but the bottom line is that the, the need for that waiver was no longer um, required. And with it, there were some informal requests by, um, you know, regulatory bodies to ensure that, look, if you want to prescribe it, um, we need help. We, we need people to have access to more practitioners who have the ability to prescribe these scientifically proven medications. So in the end, we, we have a current situation where more people who, more practitioners who have a DEA license um, have the authority to prescribe buprenorphine, for example. So that's great. But again, going backwards, we know that one factor for this opioid epidemic was the, the overzealous prescribing of pain medications. Then all of a sudden, these pain medications were regulated significantly, and then we had people going out and using heroin. Now we have a lot of people prescribing buprenorphine, and so be it that it's scientifically proven and all of that. We just need to be educated, aware, and, and, and thoughtful 
in the fact that if we're putting people on medications that do cause a physical dependency, make sure that we're educating our individuals, make sure that we are educated as practitioners and ensure that we have a proper plan and not to forget that we need to have a comprehensive um, treatment plan in place. So we are addressing all the other factors that make up somebody's addiction beyond just the biological and physical dependency and withdrawal, which the, um, the buprenorphine, the methadone, and the naltrexones address. And so um, not to forget that in our attempts to, you know, address this huge problem. I read that only 18% of people with an opioid use disorder have received treatment from one of the medications that you just mentioned. Is that number too big, too small? Well, definitely it's too small. And, and so I don't want this messaging that we're, we're providing today to get mixed. We are not saying, I am not saying that we, but I'm not saying that we need to not prescribe. I'm actually advocating that every patient with an opioid use disorder needs to have buprenorphine considered because it, it works. It works for many people, but I want it to be prescribed responsibly. I want it to be prescribed with careful thought and it needs to be prescribed um, in the proper context because, you know, risk versus benefits need to be discussed. Comprehensive treatment programming needs to be um, cultivated. And so um, 18% means that not enough people are being offered this medication or have it considered. And I do believe there's a lot of historical stigma that everything, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think abstinence is the only way. And abstinence, even meaning a prescribed medication that has been proven to help, should not be considered because then you're not truly in recovery or, or you're truly not sobriety. You don't have sobriety. But um, I don't think modern physicians and scientists look at it that way. Uh, we do look at being prescribed medication to help us live a healthy life and to avoid living an addicted type of life um, is actually treatment. Um, it's not replacing one drug with another. And especially if it's done in a proper um, you know, manner, it, it's, it's, it's saved a lot of lives and it, it has definitely um, promoted um, harm reduction. And um, that's really what we wanna achieve here. People have a higher quality of life and not use illicit substances and uh, prevent these overdoses that are happening. Okay. So these are prescription medications, but are these drugs ever abused on the streets? I mean, unfortunately, you know, people do abuse substances that can potentially, um, you know, in their mind, create um, some sort of euphoria or get them high. And, uh, you know, people are quite ingenious in ways of doing this. Um, now, Traxone is not something you can get high of because it's an opioid blocker. Uh, you know, methadone and um, buprenorphine do have some sort of ceiling effects to them. But in the, in, the, in, the, in the attempt to achieve any sort of pleasure, we have seen people um, inject these medications, um, use multiple ways um, to try and get high. And this is an unfortunate part of the disease of addiction that they're going to use um, even medications that are, are, are here to actually um, prevent them from using them in, in an illicit manner. Um, they are doing so. So um, they are also using it um, by it's getting it's out on the street and, it, and it's being used, um, you know, on the black market, so to speak, that people are um, buying and selling these things. They're getting prescriptions and they're selling it to people who are willing to buy. And that's unfortunately the, the, the problem with, uh, with, with this. 
But um, all in all, you know, we have tried and, and pharmaceutical companies have invented methods to, to limit, um, you know, um, the diversion of these medications. For example, buprenorphine um, alone has been um, manufactured and then also a, a different formulation has been created um, to add a, an opioid blocker to it. So if somebody was to not take it orally, but try to inject it, then it would stop the, um, the buprenorphine from being active. And the, the potential for getting high is, 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 uh, is diminished. So there are attempts to keep this from being diverted and to help people use this in the way that it's intended. But is the potential there? Yes. Um, but if you do it in a proper way, if, you, if people who are prescribing early on um, do not dispense large amounts of these medications, um, determine that you know proper urine drug testing is done to see that people are not using other illicit substances, and do it in a gradual way so the patient starts to gain um, more autonomy and the practitioner who is prescribing has um, gained trust and confidence in the patient, then the patient should be given more of a supply. Methadone, it's, it's being given out and mainly in the clinic, so people are only getting that day's worth of supply at a time. So these are all ways that people are regulating and keeping it from getting um, out on the street. And, and, and these are important steps that we need to take to ensure that we limit diversion of these medications. In that clinical setting, is there a financial gain for the providers of these opioid treatment medications? I mean, we have to look at the reality of this, you know, um, obviously as practitioners, when you prescribe medications to, to individuals who need it, you know, there are fees associated with this. So when you say financial gain, um, obviously you can develop your practice to focus on this stuff. And so um, you are going to get compensated to, to prescribe these um, medications because you're, you're providing a service, you know, you're seeing a patient, you're, um, you know, providing uh, your, your medical and clinical expertise, you're evaluating them, um, you're doing tests, um, you're making assessments, and then you're, you know, you're providing uh, medications. And, and, and that type of service needs to be reimbursed. Now, could that mean that people are going to base volume um, or consider volume as a factor in in seeing more patients so they can earn more revenue? I, I think that's part of, unfortunately, capitalism and, and part of business um, anywhere. So um, I, I guess people out there, and again, I'm not trying to call out any practitioner who's whose focus is on seeing as many patients as they can to help address that. Because I think you can spin it both ways. The more patients that are seen, more patients that are prescribed, more patients that can get off of illicit substances and get their help, well, that's just more people that are not using illicit substances or you know, getting treatment for their opioid use disorders. But could there be practitioners out there that do a robust business and in that robust business, maybe seeing volume over quality and maybe some of these comprehensive components of what we are advocating here be compromised. I, I would say that, that that could happen. And that's what we're hoping, you know, um, does not happen. And that's what we're trying to emphasize here that, you know, at the end of the day, I believe if, if it's done correctly and done with the proper, um, you know, checks and balances in place, we can continue to have practitioners out there prescribing these medications, addressing the opioid use disorders, using this as part of a comprehensive um, treatment plan 
but at the same time, it can't be compromising components of it by just sheerly doing volume because um, then we're not helping anybody. And, and that, again, that's, uh, that's up to that individual practitioner, but that's where we need to have, um, you know, the government and regulatory bodies watching, you know, prescribing limitations. And we have these things in place to ensure that, you know, what people are not overzealously just prescribing medications for the sheer purpose of, you know, gaining revenue. So, um, you know, that's where we do have caps on these things and um, these uh, on how many patients we can prescribe um, these things for. And these needs to stay in place. We can't just have people running amok and prescribing, you know, um, hundreds and thousands of people prescriptions, because I think we're going to fall into the same problem that, you know, um, that got us into this situation. So um, it's a double-edged sword, if not done correctly. That's true. As we close out this topic, I want to add that if you have an opioid use disorder, don't wait to look for help just because you're not sure what to do. There are so many accidental overdoses that could have been prevented by someone seeking treatment. Because like you said, Dr. Bot, there are a lot of options and someone should take the time to explore all the choices that they have. You can learn more at addictioncenter.com and we hope to have you again for another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.